Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to a super spooktacular episode of Diva Behavior, the podcast. This week's episode is all about witches. Now, witches are the divas of Halloween. I think we can all agree on that. And it's not just because witches are the most famous women of Halloween. It's because the word witch and the word diva have both been wielded against women to demonize and ostracize and dehumanize them. And also reclaimed by women who want to fully understand why these words have so much power and use that power to their advantage. In a patriarchal society, people call women divas when they want to say, hey, this girl is going above her position. She's getting uppity. She doesn't deserve what she thinks she deserves. She doesn't deserve what she's demanding. And historically, women have been called witches for really similar reasons. You know, you would get called a witch if you seemed to have powers that were unexplainable. You would get called a witch if you didn't fit in or if you acted in a way that people found strange that wasn't completely catering to society's very narrow definition of what a woman should be. So obviously, witches and divas are soul sisters, I would say. And now, of course, you have women reclaiming the term diva and reveling in this archetype of being overtly feminine and also demanding at the same time and glamorous. And you have a huge resurgence of women practicing witchcraft. There are so many open millennial witches and women in other generations, but I think we really have sort of a kinship with witchcraft as a generation in a way that has not been seen in a while, at least not in a mainstream way. So my guest this week for this super special Halloween episode is Kristen J. Soleil. Kristen has written three books. We talked about her first and third book. Her first book was Witches, Sluts, Feminists, and it was amazing. And her third book that just came out recently is called Witch Hunt, and it's all about Kristen going on a witchy pilgrimage all over North America and Western Europe in search of witchy locales, places where witches were rumored to once exist. She even went to the Vatican, and she found it to be one of the witchiest places in her travels, which is fascinating to me as a Catholic, so we talked a lot about that. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode. I mean, I enjoyed it so much. Kristen's books are amazing. I am definitely a lifelong fan now. And most importantly, this Halloween, be safe. Don't Go Frenching strangers, wear a mask. You should always be wearing a mask anyway. And now you have even more of a reason to wear a mask. And just, you know, don't ruin the rest of the year for the rest of us because we're all going into a second lockdown, it looks like. And the more we follow the rules, the sooner things will open up again. So 
like have a movie night this Saturday. Bob for apples alone or something. I don't know. It's going to suck. It's not going to be a normal Halloween. But you know what? We're all going to get over it. Oh, and Kristen told me that on Halloween, it's a full moon. So if you've been thinking about dabbling in actual witchcraft and casting spells, Saturday night is a great time to get started. And Kristen is going to tell us a little bit about, you know, sort of spell casting for dummies. A little guide at the end of this podcast on how you can get in touch with your witchy side this Halloween. Enjoy the episode. Some people think divas are diva to you. Would you say, are you one? I never said that. Diva behavior. Great, uh, great gowns, beautiful gowns. <laughs> of course, I don't trust you. Diva Behavior, the podcast. All right, I'm here with Kristen J. Soleil. She is, I would say, one of the foremost millennial witch experts. Kristen, thank you for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. So I am so excited to talk about witches with you today because the concept, the archetype of the witch and the archetype of the diva have so much in common. It's so much. Like, I would say the main thing that they have in common is, aside from both being archetypes of women, it's, it's, they're both concepts that have been used against women and reclaimed by women. So with the concept of a witch, there are so many different meanings and connotations to that. So what does it mean to you, the word witch? Oh, man, that's a, that's a, a tough one, but a great one. Um, it means a lot of things. And I think that's what's so juicy about the witch as an archetype, as a figure in history, as an identity, as a spiritual identity today that so many people um, own. Um, I like to look at the witch as a figure free from patriarchal influence or someone that challenges patriarchal influence or kind of like a femme or a woman who just does what she needs to do and isn't afraid to want what she wants to want. Um, but at the same time, there's a lot of, uh, complexities to that definition, especially when you go back into history with the witch hunts and then, you know, people accused of witchcraft and accused of being witches are oftentimes just regular old Christians, you know, not doing anything special. So, so I like to think of the witch as just a powerful force to be reckoned with. Okay. So what's so interesting about your answer is that you didn't use the word magic once. So, Mm -hmm. So why is that? Well, because historically, a lot of people accused of witchcraft had nothing to do with magic. It was just um, a way to uh, persecute them. Mm -hmm. These people were not necessarily practicing any kind of folk magic or demonic magic or whatnot. So, you know, when I talk about contemporary witches, people who identify as witches today, a lot of those people, most of those people are practicing magic in some way. But when I talk about the archetype, there's, I think, so much more um, female power, feminine power comes to the forefront, not just magic. You know, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's beyond what people think of when you say the word magic. Also, there's a lot of, like, misinformation about what magic means. And I think right. sometimes that just, like, gums up the works, you know, when we're talking about this stuff. So why is it that you think women who defy patriarchy and are powerful are conflated with being like mythical spellcasters. What do you think, where do you think that connection came from? Well, it's horrifying to men in power to think of uh, 
women trying to take away their power, usurp their positions, or just wanting to, you know, be equal. Um, obviously, the witch archetype goes back, you know, thousands of years. You have it in ancient, you know, Mesopotamia, ancient Greece, ancient Rome. So in that time, it was sort of, you know, women that were casting spells and um, able to do things that, you know, men didn't know how to do in, in, in some points. So I think, you know, it always went hand in hand with magic. But, but lately, especially now, I think people a lot of, uh, think more and more of like female power without the magic, too, when we think of witches. Right. Like you have a whole chapter in your first, it's your first book, right? Which is mm-hmm. Feminist. Yeah. Yeah. In your first book about how much this archetype was wielded against Hillary Clinton during the 2016 presidential campaign. And it's like Rush Limbaugh did your work for you. He literally called her a witch with a B. It's yeah. Like, it's so funny because all of the anxiety that the patriarchy and society in general has about witches, it's like you couldn't even make it up. Like if you were to say, oh, imagine a society where people are so afraid of powerful women that if a woman runs for president, she is equated with like a mythical evil servant of Satan. It's like you would never believe that. Right. (laughs) It's so crazy. Totally ridiculous. And that's why like, you know, I have conservative family members or people I meet and I'm like you know I'm not making up these connections like go try to find like a male politician or a male celebrity who has been demonized literally you know no one uses like supernatural terms yeah yeah like occult terms like even Pizzagate it was like all centering around Hillary Clinton it's like yeah, it's so funny. Why do you think it is that dark magic is so much more ascribed to women than men throughout history, even though, you know, like, I guess the first form of evil would have been, I mean, not the first, but 2000 years ago and earlier would be like the devil or Hades or like underworld men. But when we talk about evil walking around on Earth, a lot of the time it takes a female form. So why do you think that is? Maybe it's because there's no other explanation. Like, how could a woman be powerful? It must be an otherworldly, like, you know, sort of dark magic that allows her to be powerful. Because on Earth, it you know, it's men who rule. I don't know. That's, like, my guess. I don't know what the mindsets of folks, like, thousands of years ago were. (laughs) But it kind of makes sense. Because it's kind of the same today, right? Like, we call, like, men we don't like you know, sort of general terms or, you know, epithets. But then when it's women, it it gets to this whole supernatural, like horrifying level. And maybe it's just because it's just so much more scary. Mm -hmm. Like a scary woman is so much more threatening to our cultures than, you know, a scary man under a patriarchal perspective, obviously, because we know that's not true because there's a lot of scary men in power right now. And they're the scariest, like, possible entities I could ever think of. Right. Yeah. I think it's also has to do with how we expect women to be docile and nurturing and servile. So when, when that doesn't happen, we're like, Whoa, this is crazy. Whereas if a man is evil, it's like, Oh great. Like what's the weather today? You know, that's a really good point. Like it defies the laws of nature when women are, you know, act in ways that aren't normally prescribed to them. So yeah, I I definitely agree. It's like more of a shock or something. So that's why it has to be attributed to, the underworld or Satan or whatnot. 
So the term witch hunt gets used and abused, I would say, by people on all ends of the political spectrum. What are your thoughts on this? Like, you have people in both sides right now accusing the other side of a witch hunt with various different stories in the news, whether it's like the Hunter Biden laptop thing Mm -hmm. or, you know, everyone says it. So what are your thoughts about about the way the term is used today? I think it's like one of the most misappropriated rhetorical devices that you can think of right now in contemporary culture. But I do think it tends to be used more on the right. And uh, that's because the right tends to be more ahistorical and not aware of history in certain ways. Mm. So, I mean, usually it's a metaphor um, where there's for some sort of, you know, subversive intent of conspiratorial, like betrayal, But really, the funny thing is, is that historical witch hunts, you know, yeah, were totally subversive and had conspiracies all riddled through them. But it was society's most powerful who were conspiring to betray the most vulnerable, you know. So it's completely ahistorical because most of the people saying witch hunt are like powerful politicians who are saying, oh, there's a witch hunt against me or whatnot, you know. And like the people who were being hunted you know, centuries ago were usually like older, poor, disenfranchised women, often many men also, but it wasn't like super powerful men being hunted. It happened a few times, but it's not like that was the majority, you know? Wow. It's totally flipped everything. And it's the most ridiculous way to use this term. And it, it does a total disservice to history and the thousands of people that actually died as a result of real witch hunts, you know? Yeah, I never thought of it that way with like the power imbalance. And Mm -hmm. yeah, like it always bothered me when people would say like in politics when they would call something a witch hunt because yeah, and I never knew why. Wow, that is so crazy. Because let's talk about the Salem witch trials, which Mm -hmm. I think in the American imagination, that is the largest example of, you know, what we think of as real life witches and a witch hunt. Can you, what did you learn about about that in your research over the years that sort of disproved what most people think? Yeah. Um, one thing is that nobody knows what happened at Salem. Like I learned about it in middle school, like so many other Americans, and it's just taught so wrong and, and it's glossed, you know, so many of the facts are glossed over. And I yeah. think we also have Arthur Miller to blame because the crucible is like part of that, you know, teaching process and I think a lot of kids read it and think it's historically accurate and it's no way historically accurate in fact Arthur Miller basically puts the blame on young women for all of this you know it's like one girl's desire for an older man that like causes the Salem witch hunts in the crucible pretty much you know it's funny because it's like so many that's like an old man having a victim complex when really yes. he's the one with the power. So yes. Yeah. And he's totally taking advantage of her. Yet she's the devil that got him to cheat on his wife. And then the whole town goes crazy. Like, Oh my God. It's, so I think that is a big reason why, I mean, it's a great, um, like, you know, commentary on cold war McCarthyism. Like mm-hmm. I get it. It's a great work, but it's totally fiction. And so I think that's one thing that people don't realize. And again, women are scapegoated in that 
you know, because of the crucible and in our minds, we think it's like crazy young girls started all of this, you know, but it's like, yes. And like, there's no actual, like, we don't really know exactly. Historians have so many different theories about what really happened in the Salem witch trials. So we don't know exactly know what was happening with all these girls exhibiting these strange symptoms. Like, is it conversion disorder? Was it like, you know, something else? Some people are, you know, have said it's like, ergot poisoning you know with like the the rotting bread they were eating anyway whatever it is I mean, oh my god history's first gluten allergy right (laughs) but like and that's like very unlikely to be the one cause but Mm. you know there's some theories that the women like the young girls were so repressed that it was like so traumatizing to live in the way they did that they acted out some of them, you know, must have believed they were, you know, you know, taken by the devil in some way. Whatever the case may be, it's clearly like these are young girls. They're not in they're not like banding together at night to like figure out how to take down, you know, their community. Clearly there was already so much community strife and conflict and like inter infighting and stuff that it just exploded. So I think it's just it's just funny how it's so much easier to just blame women in like all of these. Uh, complex historical you know happenings and and that's what we're left with in like contemporary culture is just all this misinformation and so yeah there's more information like misinformation like people think uh there were there were burnings of the stake in Salem like no everyone was hanged you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) like when I did interviews for my first book I just interviewed a bunch of random adults about what they thought about Salem and almost like everyone was totally wrong they were like hundreds of people died you know like yeah it's really fascinating. And obviously I'm still learning because the more, you know, historians have different theories and I read one and then I read another and they're totally opposite. And it's like, well, I don't know exactly which one to believe, but we're left just trying to piece through what we have. Right. So why do you even think we learn about it? Like everyone learns about this in school and it's not that huge of a thing. And it's also not like we've really learned about it in a cautionary way of like, be careful of conspiracies. It's more like, like, why do we all learn about this when we don't learn about so many other important things in American history? That is a really good question. And you're right. It would be so useful if it was targeted specifically today. Like in my class, I teach at the new school and I teach the college freshmen, mm-hmm. our first years. And we do talk about it in terms of like cultural, like fake news and, yeah. you know, community hysteria and, you know, systemic oppression. So you could apply it that way. But no, you know, maybe it's just like force of habit. I would love to see why that that is, you know, because maybe it's because it's salacious and they it's interesting. I, I don't really know because it's really only 19 people are put to death. I'm not saying their lives didn't matter. I'm just saying, right. yes, you're right. There's so many horrible atrocities in America that it's like, really, that's what we're picking. But I don't know. I think it just holds a, it's so fascinating because witches are so fascinating. Maybe that's what it is. I'm not sure. Yeah. It's like the only occult flavored thing that we really all learn in American history. It's so strange that we really go that deep on it. Yeah, you're right. And that's something that when I was researching my new book, I I really confronted again because we're still in a puritanical mindset, like because our, like America was founded by these like super religious zealots you know yeah (laughs) like there's still that legacy like when I go to the UK and I'm looking up occult things or whatever it's like 
a respected discipline, you know, like you can go to so many different beautiful bookstores. It's not like in the U.S. you're still kind of like hiding in your scary witch shop. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and There's still in, people like burning copies of yes, Harry Potter in the U.S. Seriously. And outside like like the witch shop in Brooklyn near where I live, there have been Christian protesters many, many times. And I seriously doubt that happens very much. I could be wrong, like in London. I really doubt that, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, I live in London. And it's the weirdest thing to just see how, like, you know, really hardcore Christianity is just not really a thing here. And mm-hmm. no one misses it. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, why can't we get over that in the U.S.? Like, obviously, if you're religious, be religious. But it's just the whole thing of, like, turning it into a cudgel to... Yeah. impose on other people it's just like and and I wanted to ask you about that do you think that the U.S. has ebbs and flows with this puritanical tendency or do you think it's always there and I mean I think we both can agree we're we're definitely in a pretty puritanical era right now right yeah I mean I again researching this current book and I was sort of like tracing the lineage of Puritans like leaving England and Scotland because, you know, they couldn't worship uh, as they wanted and be as extreme as they wanted, like going to the U.S. and like. What were some of the extreme things they wanted to do that they weren't allowed to do in Europe? Well, I know. I mean, this is not my like discipline of expertise, so I'm just going to like talk around it as much as I can. But (laughs) we I mean. Basically, Puritans were called that because they wanted to purify the Church of England of its, like, Catholic influence or any, like, ritual, as far as I understand. So I, you know, I think a big issue was just not having any um, sort of pomp and circumstance and um, and ritual, basically. Like, I know in in um in like in Salem like uh, funerals were like completely silent there's no like celebration there's no you know it it was like no celebrating Christmas no like decorations and stuff like that you know this is like a really like rudimentary take on this I'm sorry to scholars of religion but basically they were just persecuted in England because they you know were really uptight (laughs) that's that's (laughs) my like sort of, you know, brutish estimation. Um, so yeah, I, I, I really, you can see that, that sort of the, the anti-fun, it's really like America was founded by the least fun people, the most like religious extremists, like, and you know, pilgrim obviously is just a word for any traveler, but we still like on their way to a holy place, but we still think of like pilgrims founding the U.S. So we have like Puritans, pilgrims. It's like, ugh, it's really an awful group of people. Yeah, sorry wow. to any of my ancestors who were those people, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought of it. I mean, I have thought of it that way, but that really puts it into perspective why we are still having conversations now about like, you know, morality and decency in government in the U.S. It's yeah, yeah, and the fact that like we still don't understand separation of church and state. Like mm-hmm. why are our laws so influenced by the evangelical right still, you know, like yeah. it's wild. And, you know, and the reason I have like avoided going even into that deeper is like, it's so painful. Like I don't even want to read about the history of our, 
you know, of the root of all these problems we have now. I know. It's just so weird. And it really doesn't exist in any other, like, developed country. It's just very strange. I know. It's dark. (laughs) Yeah. So So your first book is Witches, Sluts, Feminists. And your most recent book is Witch Hunt. And in Witch Hunt, you travel all over the world and kind of research witches in a bunch of different European and North American cultures, right? Yes. And you went to Vatican City. Yes. So I am fascinated by that because I was raised Catholic and Mm. I love everything witch-related. So what, what did you find in Vatican City? So, yeah, there's just like the rest of witch history, there's, you know, a lot of misinformation about the connection between like the church, Catholic church and witchcraft and witches historically. Like I grew up with a Catholic mom and like a dad who was Catholic and then became an atheist, like super hardcore because he hates the Catholic church so much because it's very oppressive, you know? Yeah. So, um, Anyway, I always was taught like, oh, Catholics burning, you know, the Inquisition, burning witches and all that. They're just totally the reason why we have witch hunts. And that's partially true. But there's a lot there's a lot more there. Like, for example, a lot of um, the practices that were called witchcraft, you know, especially like, let's say in 17th century England, sometimes just were Catholic liturgies used in like the Anglican society or the Protestant society at the time was totally anathema, you know, because they're Protestants. So the Catholicism mm. became demonized and that was witchcraft, you know, like that happens in the Pendle witch hunts. So there, and then, you know, a lot of um, like in Italy, you know, early modern Italy, a lot of the accused witches are just using, you know, elements from church rituals, but they're sort of changed up a little bit, you know, mixed in with a little folk magic, you know, like throw a little menstrual blood into a cup and have your, you know, your, your lover's wine and drink it. And then, you know, say a little prayer and then he'll be yours forever. You know? <laughs> Sounds like a typical Thursday. Exactly. So anyway, I was like, I need to go to the Vatican. I've been before, but I want to go again because there's so much incredible art there, first of all. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to see, like, how much paganism is really there, because I never went thinking that. And then when I went with that in mind, like, you know, where can I see, where can I find witches in the Vatican? They were just kind of everywhere. Wow. So, you know, like, all the pre-Christian deities are all over. You can find, you know, Aphrodite and Sekhmet and Athena and, you know, all these things. And then... You go into, you know, the Sistine Chapel and then you see like the demons coming up from hell, you know. And so there's all all these ideas about witchcraft or the precursors to witchcraft or just are just kind of hiding like in the papal altar in um, in uh, the basilica. There there is like a sort of a satyr's face, you know, and then there's some like woman in the middle of childbirth carved into this. It just looks very, it's very like pagan and witchy. And then there's like a pagan crypt, Um, you know, all these things that I really wasn't thinking about the first time I went. Um, Mm. And then in the gift shop, of course you go to the gift shop. I was (laughs) thinking about like, you know, so many of my witch identified friends would use these bottles of holy water or pray to these saints just as much as my Catholic grandmother would, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like deeply ironic because basically by the end, I was like, I think the Vatican is the witchiest place in, that I visited so far. Wow. Because, yeah, it's fascinating. It's like what 
you know, was so strongly rejected still has so much of Catholicism in it. You know, the, the elaborate ritual, like if you like look at a witchcraft altar and like a super fancy like Catholic altar, you know, like it's not that far apart. And that's kind of wild. Obviously, the cosmology is totally different. And there's not I mean, there is like a whole there is like a goddess kind of cult in Catholicism too, like Mary, Mm -hmm. you know, like that's praying to a like a mother goddess in a way. So yeah, there's a lot more in and inter they're interwoven than I think people would oh think. Oh my God. My mom's gonna be so excited when she listens to this. She's gonna go back to church, I think. I love it. Yeah, it's true. Like with Catholicism, I feel like, you know, the things that are actually preached are very different from the the messages that come across from the aesthetics of Catholicism. Catholicism yeah you know what I mean it's like oh give to the poor live a life that's really simple the meek shall inherit the earth but the churches are all freaking gorgeous and full yes. of expensive art and gold plating and stuff yes. so yeah it's so interesting and when you say paganism in this context what what is it that you mean exactly So it means a lot of things today, but I'm kind of, I'm using it like more in the old, old fashioned term, like originally, you know, the term pagan was used to just mean like people, a derisive term for people who didn't convert to Christianity. So back in the day, like in, you know, ancient Rome or whatnot, that was like the first time. So basically that was just anyone who wasn't Christian back then. And then now there's, there's more of a, like a demonized, you know, uh, way that that term is used by certain religious groups. Um, mm-hmm. Certainly like in America, like evangelicals and whatnot use that term derisively. But then also there's the neo-pagan movement who are a lot of people that are looking to sort of reclaim and rehabilitate um, sort of folk magic practices from the past. Which is which is the, what they see was existing before Christianity came in and like changed their you know each indigenous culture sort of like stripped it of its original um, like hue and 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 you know beauty. So I'm kind of using it in the like non-Christian way, not like in a contemporary way. But like yeah, and then there's tons of non-Christian stuff in the Vatican, which is something I you I don't think you'd think about, but there's tons. You know, there's like. Moon, a big full circle with like moon inlays, a moon cycle mosaic on the floor in this one room. It's what? just like, yes, yes. You know, and I think that is like what, and that's, that's actually why the Puritans, again, back to the Puritans were like leading. They were like, we don't want anything to do with this like pagan Catholicism. We want our austere, like, you know, individual relationships with God with nothing fancy. Yeah, <laughs> so, and now all their churches look like crap and ours yeah. are freaking, like, dressed to the nines 24-7. <laughs> exactly. I mean, if you have to pick an aesthetic, you're, who would pick, like, a Protestant aesthetic? Ew, you know? Yeah. Like, if you have to pick, Catholics know where it's at as far as, like, looks go. <laughs> yeah. And isn't Santeria an outgrowth of Catholicism? Yeah, there's a lot of you know, diasporic traditions or traditions of like people in different cultures that were marginalized and oppressed and they weren't allowed to practice, you know, their indigenous spirituality. So they kind of like melded it with Catholicism, you know, like elements of voodoo are the same way. So they're, you know, they're, there's like, they're syncretic. They're like elements of, you know, different 
belief systems sort of cobbled together, oftentimes to just hide from the oppressive group because they weren't allowed to worship as they wanted, you know, and now we're left with sort of like a patchwork, you know, with, um, with um, the original belief systems and then, you know, elements of Christianity in there. And yeah, so you are correct. Wow, that's so interesting. I, I find it so interesting how you're telling me and demonstrating how religion is so changeable and mutable when that's supposed to be exactly what it isn't. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah, <laughs> it's like a funny thing. And the more I, I mean, I at one time in my life was definitely an atheist, atheistic, wanted nothing to do with any organized religion. And then, you know, only like witchy stuff, like totally separate. And then the more I studied and studied, I was like, these things cannot be separated. And there's a, the, the binary, the lines are so much blurrier than we think, you know? Mm-hmm. So you're right. I think it, a lot of the people who are like hardcore religious don't look into the history and they don't want to believe it, but it's a lot messier than they'd want to believe, I'm sure. It is. It's a hot mess. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> tell me about the, I'm going to maybe say, I mean, I did take high school Latin, but I'm not sure if I'm going to say this properly, but the Malleus Maleficarum. Yeah. So mm-hmm. You said it was basically a medieval BDSM manual <laughs> under the guise of like a witch hunting brochure kind of thing, right? Tell me a little bit about that. Well, so that is a joke I was making. Like, yeah, yeah, it was yeah. Not, it I just loved it. It was so funny. Yes. Um, but I mean, there were many um, like treatises and tracts, you know, written and about like the underpinnings of witchcraft and demonology and how to fight witches. And that's just a famous one because it's very misogynistic. So it's useful to talk about um, witch hunting with it. And it was very popular, but there were other ones as well. But I always like that one and many other feminists like it too. I mean, it's been used a little too much sometimes because there's plenty of others. But um, yeah, it is it basically says all witchcraft comes from carnal lust, which is in women insatiable. So it's really like linking female sexuality with witchcraft and that just, you know, stuck like and we're still stuck with that today. From the dude that wrote it, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, he wasn't getting laid. I mean, we don't know that, but I'm <laughs> guessing not if, if he's truly as pious as he said. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. So yeah, you say in the book that there's basically three archetypes of womanhood in the Bible, virgin, obedient wife, and deviant whore. So why does the witch, why do powerful women become conflated with deviant whores? When does that happen in human history? And why do you think that is? And it's clearly still the case today. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think obviously it must have predated the Bible and, you know, the people who were writing it. I mean, but yeah, the most hated, we have like Jezebel, right? Like the most hated women in the Bible are sex workers or prostitutes or whatever we would call them back then. Um, Or just women who cheated on their husbands or weren't faithful. So, you know, it's all conflated, whatever your work is, you know, you're all just a deviant whore. And so I think that's clearly based in fear and you know, men wanting to own, you know, their wives' bodies or have control over women's bodies, because obviously, in a really reductive set, you know, sense, they can make them children and things like that. So, you know, if they're using their bodies in ways that don't align with motherhood and, I don't know, chastity, except for at the, uh, you know, at at the uh, wills of their husband, I think, 
that's dangerous. And, and so that goes forward. And, you know, the witch hunting era, like we have Malleus coming out and like, uh, you know, the late 15th century. And they just sort of pick up where Christianity had been going for a long time. Um, and yeah, I, I don't, beyond the sort of, you know, biological destiny of women, you know, needing to fulfill the, um, their role as like a mother and a wife, I don't really know why else it would be, you know, whores or promiscuous women would be so hated. But I think that probably is why, you know. Yeah. So do you think Malleus Maleficarum is sort of a wish fulfillment for people who have heard that these deviant women exist but they've probably never encountered one. And it's just sort of explaining all the terrible wink, wink things that women are <laughs> allegedly doing. Yeah. I mean, we know that Heinrich Kramer, who's the author of it was, you know, a witch hunter. He was an inquisitor. Um, and he was, uh, even like driven out of one town he was working in because he was like questioned one woman so much about her sexual history, like during a witch trial. So it's clear that he was uh, fascinated with this connection. Um, so, yeah, I think it's sort of just codifying his own beliefs, uh, his own misogyny. And clearly other people shared his misogyny. And it just is easy to blame those kinds of women, you know. It, are, it fits in with Christian doctrine pretty well. So, yeah, he just ran with it. And there it was. <laughs> yeah. So what what are some of the things that, in the historical sense, witch hunts kind of we're supposed to solve the problem of do you know what i'm saying like yeah 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 like um, what are the issues that women are being scapegoated for here yeah i mean there's so many different things i think if there's one thing i like to affirm um is that you know witch hunting differed in like all the places it happened and so some places it was mostly men who were singled out and stuff but the major 70 to 80 percent like generally or women, like, across, like, Europe and North America. So we can just talk about them, you know. Mm -hmm. But um, a lot of times it was community conflict. Like, a lot of times it was, like, charity refused. Like, someone, you know, like, a poor woman comes and begs for something from a house, you know, or from a neighbor, and they say, hell no. And then she curses them or is, like, pissed like life and times were hard and then they're like oh no and something bad happens to them and they assume it's the woman they refused to give her you know the milk or whatever or suddenly their cow dies and it was her fault or you know so it was a lot of community conflict sometimes it was crazy weather like we know we had the little ice age at some point like during you know the early modern era and so that caused you know some strange like frost in the summer and things like that and that was a reason to why not blame the you know, most marginalized. Oh, these poor women, let's blame them. Um, like children dying, you know, a lot of things having to do with like, like birth and death, fertility. Um, and then sometimes it was just like some power mad ruler who's just wants to flex his, his muscles, you know? Um, there's so many different reasons. What made you want to do witch hunt? What made you want to do that? Book? Oh yeah. Um, I love travel. I've traveled a lot my whole life. And I've always just, um, as far as my witchcraft practice goes, like I always really connect with the power of place and the energies or entities that are in a place. Like, you know, you can go into a, an old house and feel things that happen there, you know? And I feel the same, same thing with, you know, a, a, a mountain or, you know, 
an ocean. Like there's just, you can feel the energies there. And so I'm really fascinated with that, the non-human energies that are in, you know, the spaces around us. I really want to dig into like the places that are associated with the witch hunts and with contemporary witchcraft. And there isn't a book like that. Like if you look up witch travel, like in a bookstore, it would be like, astral projection or traveling Mm -hmm. the astral plane you know there's no like travel guide for witch stuff and so a they always say like if you want something out in the world make it or you know so that was one reason and I wanted to visit some of these sort of hallowed sites and places that you know a a lot of these trials happened that I'd been reading about for so long and I just you know wanted an excuse to travel and thank god I traveled so much for this book that since now I probably won't travel for quite a while so (laughs) I really got it off my chest for a little while. But um, yeah, I think it was more just like wanting to connect with these places and and see what would happen when I visited them. So what were some of the places you went to? So it was super hard to decide because obviously like there are so many countries and, you know, I could have gone to, but I ended up just like narrowing it down to um, let me make sure I get them all, to Italy, mm-hmm. France, Germany, Ireland, UK, and the US to start. Um, there's, I mean, I really want to do Scandinavia, but I couldn't afford it. And I was like, okay, maybe that's for another one. But um, yeah, I just sort of picked, I, I don't know how I, it was like kind of strange um, how I decided where I wanted to go. I mean, some of it was dri- driven by history. Some of it was driven by you know what happened in these places sometimes I was just like I just really want to go to this place and or some days I just wandered around a city and just found myself somewhere and it it was relevant it was a really cool experience in a way it's kind of a very witchy way to write a book you know yeah that's really cool what was like the creepiest thing you came across or experienced hmm I did a in um in Lancashire I went and did this Pendle witch ghost hunt uh, which was super awesome. And I'd never been on a ghost hunt before. I'm, I'm like, I, I watch those shows all the time on like the mm-hmm. travel channel, like the ghost hunting shows. But I had never been on one, partly because I'm super scared, partly because I'm like, oh, whatever, that's not real, even though mm, that's real. Um, so, <laughs> uh, yeah, I went on this ghost hunt and we ended up going like outside in November in the, like at midnight to this place where supposedly some of these cunning women who were accused of witchcraft and who admitted to it and said they were cursing and killing their neighbors basically lived. And so we have like the spirit board out and it's like, no one has their lights on and like no flashlights. There's nothing for like miles. You can hardly see. It's like pitch black. And even the power of suggestion would freak you out, you know, because it's like, there's like shadows where they shouldn't be. Everyone in the dark looks scarier and, you know, the spirit board, someone, you know, asks, starts asking questions. And, and that, that planchette was moving around. And, Ooh. you know, and I am, I, I love being a skeptic in many ways. I always ask, like, what's happening here? Like, there must be a logical, rational explanation, even though I totally believe in all kinds of supernatural metaphysical stuff. I still, like, like to be, you know, on both sides here, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and some of the things I could not explain, and we went to this haunted um, castle and we were all sitting in a room and there were those, those little balls that are supposed to, they're like cat balls. And when it, they, if a cat like bats it, it would light up and spin around. And there's a ball like in the total opposite corner where everyone's sitting and it suddenly starts spinning around and lighting up. Ugh. I 
was so freaked out. Like in my head, I kept being like, I didn't want to invite any contact. I was like, no, thank you. No, thank you. Leave me alone. <laughs> like yeah. I didn't. And I'm like, what am I doing here? Um, anyway, it was, that was probably one of the scariest, but it was super fun also. And I definitely recommend. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, wants to do that. They, I mean, this is broadcasting where you can actually go do that. So it was in Lancashire, you said. Yeah. Yeah. It was called spooky nights was the um the name of the I, I'm pretty sure yeah yeah the name of the ghost hunting the ghost tour place and I'm I'm guessing they don't do them right now because of yeah. COVID but soon enough you know yeah the UK is ghost central yes it's the yes. creepiest like I have lived here for two years and I refuse to I would love to live in an old building but I'm also terrified to live in an old building like my boyfriend wanted to move into this apartment that's above a church across from the Tower of London. Oh my God. And it was, we went to go look at it and it was huge and the price was insanely good. I think just because it was so creepy, but the church itself was where, you know, in the Tower of London, that's where they used to chop people's heads off and they would, yeah. yeah, and they would put the heads on pikes and display them out in the Tower Bridge. Well, this church is where they would store the bodies while the heads were off on Tower Bridge. Oh, so wow. I was like, there is no way that I'm living in here. I don't care how good the price is. This place is going to be full of like poltergeists and stuff. So we ended up not living there. But it's just, yeah, it's so creepy everywhere here. I love it, though. It's like, and they have such a love of spooky stuff in the UK. Yeah, and it's not like, here where it all ends up being devil worship again you know (laughs) I love how you can just like spooky stuff like whenever I go over to London I love London and I want to live there too I'm jealous of you (laughs) yeah it's pretty Um, great yeah I think that's so cool to just indulge in that in that history and there's so much of it there and uh yeah yeah so I mean there's there is here too but uh it's, it's different it's different for sure yeah, there's just more old stuff here oh, and you can just course. feel it. Like you walk into a building and you're just like, ooh, there's someone else in here for sure. Yeah, you but. can't deny that there there's leftover energy. And I know we don't have like the science, quote unquote, to explain that necessarily. But like, you know, it makes sense to me that you that, you know, energy imprints in a place. Like, why not? You know, yeah, definitely. And like you just can tell, you can just feel it. And I think it would be arrogant to think that we have an explanation for every single thing under the sun, you know, like, yes. I think it would be, cr- I think it's crazy when people are like, there's no such thing. Cause I'm like, how do you know? Yeah. Like, even I, if it's not, I, yeah. I totally agree. And I feel like we, you know, scientists still, still don't understand like the human brain fully. So like, come on, you know, like, right. we, we don't know. <laughs> How come we can have string theory, but there can't be ghosts? You know, I agree. That is so like a thing I always talk about <laughs> with my dad, particularly because he's like a hardcore atheist and believes in nothing but what mm-hmm. science can prove. And I'm always like, but you just don't know, Dad. Come on. <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. So you said you have your own witchcraft practice now too. Can you tell yeah. me a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, it's not that widely different from a lot of different witchcraft practices, which are nature based and you follow like the cycles of the moon and the seasons and sort of um, pin your spellcraft to all that for manifestation or healing or protection. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, what what exactly do you want to know besides that? Like, you do, know, you, I, I do, do you have a coven? I do. I do have a coven, yeah. Actually, That's we've cool. had um, had to meet on Zoom lately because it's, it's just... Do you have not, Zoom meetings? <laughs> I swear we have Zoom coven meetings. I know a lot of covens are doing that, and it's just, it's not the same, you know, but um, you got to do something. But yeah. I do a lot of my own spell work, like solo. I still feel like my best um, magic is is by myself, um, even though community can be so, so powerful, too. Like, I feel like I get a lot of stuff done on my own in the middle of the woods or even in my, you know, in the city, whatever. You can do magic anywhere. So have you ever cast a spell and had it come true? That's oh, probably many. a really dumb question, but... No, it's not. No, many times I got my book deal through spell work. That's for sure. Oh, wow. I'm going to have to try this now, too. Okay, so I probably can't talk about it uh, that, like, I don't know if it's, like, uh, it's a little risque, this kind of spell work that I did, but I will <laughs> say that um, it's sex magic, and I told another author friend about it, and they got a book deal recently from it, and they said that, so I can what? tell you off, I can tell you offline, like, okay. <laughs> A very useful way to manifest a book deal. <laughs> okay, this is this sounds insane, and I'm gonna definitely need to hear more about it for sure. Wow. So, how did you find your coven, and how do you like find the spells and everything? Is there like a Google for this, or? <laughs> yes, actually, you know what? You can find so much great. Um information about witchcraft online of, of course you want to know like what you're getting because there's a lot of stuff that a maybe is like appropriated from a culture and as practice you shouldn't be you know using or b is just made up you know and obviously a lot of things are just made up but you know they're just like on the internet so you've got to know where you're looking like any google search you have to know but um there's a lot of great communities online and i my mom is a witch and i so i grew up like with a lot of sort of non-traditional spiritual practices. So, yeah, I, I feel like it just sort of came to me intuitively. There's witch shops, great witch shops in New York City that I grew up going to. And I think I just learned from people behind the counter. I read different books and I sort of found, I'm still finding like what works for me because sometimes the best spell is something you make up using correspondences or, you know, herbs and, you know, days of the week and times of the day and the season that, sort of work with what you're looking to get done. Um, but my coven, yeah, I used to, um, I was working just by myself for so long and I sort of made other friends in the witchy world, but um, I put on this festival like in 2015 called Legacy of the Witch. And it was like uh, a burlesque and music and art and sort of like um, little gathering. And a lot of people that came, I, I ended up sort of, communing with them and working with them and yeah it's kind of strange a friend of mine just started a coven like a couple of years ago and invited me and then I met all these new people and you know I'm actually in multiple covens it's kind of weird but like I don't have a rule like I'm a, a non-monogamous witchcraft practitioner I'll, I'll be in as many covens as I can because <sighs> it's like different different vibes right I'm not going to commit to just one you know we all do different kinds of things everyone has different interests so I think it, I think it works although other witches might be like you know, no way. I only have one, but that's not my vibe. So <laughs> that's amazing. What are some of your favorite pop cultural depictions of witches? Oh, there's so many. Um, 
I grew up being obsessed with Sleeping Beauty. So Maleficent, like, was my childhood crush, as I like <laughs> to say. And I love how Disney, like, humanized her in the recent, you know, uh, Angelina Jolie film films. Um, but I, like, more recent ones, um, I love Witches of Eastwick. I think that's a great film, like, showing... Uh, female power and sort of banding together against the devil in the end um and like male anxiety about female power too yes 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 that's a great one and jack nicholson is hilarious (laughs) in it um oh there's so many i'm trying to think i watched practical magic recently for the first time and that was so good it's so it's a sweet one i love that one Mm -hmm. um who else? Like there, I I um I love the Love Witch. I think that's one of my favorite recent witch films. Oh, what's that? Um, it's like about um it's sort of take it's kind of like um done in like sixties pulp thriller style, and it's by this director Anna Biller, and she like did everything she wrote and directed and like even created the props herself there's like this huge like pinnacle rug she like made it's it's gorgeous it's one of the most like visually stunning films and it's sort of like addressing romantic ideals and female sexuality and persecution and there's this like woman who's a witch and it just keeps using magic to try to get different lovers and things happen. And it's, I don't want to give it away. It's like so beautifully done. I really love it. And it's has like an element of camp to it. Like that is very delicious. So. Okay. I'm like looking at the IMDB and I'm like, this is so up my alley. How yes. I never hear about this. It looks amazing. Yeah. It's, it's really awesome. It's, I mean, it was kind of like an indie film, but it's still got, you know, a lot of, press at the time but yeah I don't think it was ever like widely widely I don't know about in Europe either I'm not sure how it was there yeah it looks amazing what do you think are some of the most harmful depictions of witches in pop culture Hmm. that's an interesting question because you know we like at this point in time there's like people who identify spiritually and personally as a witch and so like they will take depictions of the witch that are negative like you know badly but at the same time most negative depictions of the witch are based in like medieval late medieval and early modern ideas of the witch so they're not like really that ahistorical but you know I think like the craft which everyone loves Mm -hmm. um but I do think there's some elements about it because it's you know showing like young women getting power and then they can't handle it and so they go crazy with it and then everything ends terribly kind of you know mm-hmm. so I think you know things movies like that that show women unable to like handle their witchcraft kind of are can be viewed negatively but I still love the craft um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was thinking, what do you think about The Witches by Roald Dahl? I know there's the new one, which I haven't seen. Did you see the new one? No, it didn't come out yet. The trailer just came out. The one with Anne Hathaway? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course I've seen the original as a kid. Yeah, and I loved it. Um, But I've heard heard mixed reviews about the new one, so I'm not sure. I mean, that's like 
it's hard to remake a classic. Like, honestly, I know with the new craft movie, people are like, oh, God, is it going to be, is it going to live up to the original, you know? Yeah. I think that's always rough to remake. But, you know, as far as your question, I just, I don't know if there's any films that are bad because they're all, they're films. They're supposed to be an mm. interpretation. And I think there's as much room for the, the evil, you know, malicious, like nasty hag or seductress, demonic seductress, as there are for like the super smart, studious witch who loves everyone, you know, and wants to heal the world. Like there's room for all of those witches. Like that's what I love about the witch archetype. You can, you know, she's like whatever you want her to be. She like is a shapeshifter. She's appears, you know, in the eye of whoever perceives her. Love that. Well, thank you so much for coming on and talking to me and everything. Are you celebrating Halloween this year? Uh, yes. And thank you for having me. This was great. Um, I obviously can't go out and do a bunch of stuff because I don't want to die. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, I'm definitely going to be carving some pumpkins and maybe doing a little full moon ritual. Halloween has a full moon. So... <gasps> a good time to think about you know projects coming to fruition or you know thinking about uh all that you want to manifest because it's going to be in a, a big day because you know that's like it's like the witch's new year it's the time when you know you can commune with the dead more easily all things like that so I think I'm just going to be thinking about what I want for myself next and also think about what I can do for this sad, sad world. You know? Oh my God. I know. It's like, I can't even get into it. Nope. If we, if we want to get in touch with our witchy side and maybe dabble with a little witchcraft on Halloween, since it is a full moon, what would we do? Hmm. Oh, that's, that's so individual, but I would say, you know, a really simple you know, kind of spell is to just sort of maybe even write a little message about what you want to to sort of have come to fruition or let go of or how you want to start your, you know, life after, like in November. Light a candle, you know, get into a meditative state, maybe even take a, like a salt bath beforehand. And just like you can write that down on a piece of paper and burn it. Like that's a really simple like way to do it. There's obviously way more complex things you can get into with like herbs and oils and, you know, chants and this and that. But I think always just those, those kind of simple spells, like writing something down and, and burning it and just sort of being in, in your space and, and in your body and like connecting to the energies that may be coming down from that full moon to just look at the moon, you know, hang out mm -hmm. with her. Like, yeah. She's going to be pretty that neat. I think anything like that, you know, it's like, it's really about how you feel about it. And if you get into the right place, like you can make all kinds of things happen, you know, even if you haven't studied spellcraft for years. Yeah. Wow. And like you said, we can't really go out. So this is now as a good, as good a time as any to do some studying on Halloween instead of, <laughs> instead of partying. <laughs> yes. Go to your favorite account. Go to an occult bookshop and be like, what should I ask the person behind the desk? Like, what spell book can I get? You know what I mean? There's ask a friend. Like, it's it's you know, there's so many ways to to get in there to start. That is amazing. Thank you so, so much for everything that you have shared with us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Some people think Diva's a diva to you. Would you say are you one? I never said that.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.